Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. This is found on page 620 in the Bibles in the back of your pew. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Amen. Well, good morning. Let's pray together. God, we come to you in the name of Jesus in and through his glorious and finished work. Thank you that you have made a way for us to dwell with you in your presence forever. God, I ask this morning as we open your word, would you cause there to be a spirit of revelation a spirit of grace upon the speaking of your word, the hearing of your word. God, would you show us glorious and wonderful things from your word? God, that we might be conformed into your ways, that we might live holy for you. God, speak to us this morning. Glorify your name in our midst. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, take your notes out. We're going to jump right in. Hey, so uh, we've been in Isaiah 61 for the last three weeks. This is the final week. We're going to look at this passage and uh, Lord willing, next week we'll jump back into our time in Chronicles, picking up with Second Chronicles. Uh, but what, we, what we've done at the beginning of this year is looked at Isaiah 61 to situate some of the burdens that the Lord has before us as a spiritual family for this next year. What we've been doing uh, is highlighting and working our way up to, in some ways, uh, what I pray or, or, or hope to talk about this morning, talking about rebuilding the ruins or repairing the ruins. If you look with me at letter B, uh, through the fall we have consistently spoken together uh, as a church about being called into a season of building the Lord's house, uh, reorienting our efforts as a spiritual family around pursuing the things of the Lord together as the first pursuit, both in our individual lives and as a corporate family. And then from that place, seeking to order everything that we do around God's ways and his word and his commandments. We have noted again and again, let her see that we are living in times that are marked 
uh, by widespread decay of public morality, the death of institutions, uh, growing acceptance of immorality and deception, uh, both in our cultural moment and globally. Uh, And I believe there's a specific need for us as the people of God to work to rebuild the house of the Lord at the center place of our lives together and then build our lives, our families, according to God's patterns. Letter D, what we've seen in Isaiah 61 is uh, God demonstrates a type of people that will set out to do this kind of work exactly, to repair the ruined cities and the desolate places. However, as I noted last week, this passage doesn't just tell us what to do. It actually paints a picture of the kind of people that God is going to make by visiting us with the grace of his saving work to uh, uh, make us the kind of people that would do this kind of work. You can look at letter E and F on your own. I want to jump right in today. So if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, go back and listen to those. They're going to serve in some ways as a foundation for what we're doing. But this morning, I want to look at being a type of people that sets out to seek God's renewing work as we build together. Look at letter A under Roman numeral two. So Isaiah 61 was written to a people that were living in a time yet to come from the prophet's perspective. So Isaiah is looking into the future and speaking to a a group of people that would have been taken away into exile and were coming back to Israel after a season of destruction and uh, tearing down and discipline at the hand of the Lord. And he's speaking to them uh, words of encouragement, words of what God is going to do in and among them. Uh, so he, we, we've seen uh, that they were gonna return to the land of Israel to rebuild what had been torn down at the hands of God's judgment. So in many ways, uh, uh, this was written to encourage a type of people that lived in a, a type of what you could call an already, but not yet. They had experienced God's saving work in being brought back from the exile, but they had yet to experience the full expression of God's life made known in the places where they were. And this is the way God works a lot of times, right? Like he saves in a moment, he delivers in a moment, he brings us from darkness into light, and then we still find ourselves living in places that are formed by very dark things, right? And we're, we're to partner with the, with the Lord in that work of bringing renewal in our own lives, in our families, in the places where he's put us, where we do not yet see the full expression of God's life and his kingdom reign at work there. So in a lot of ways, uh, we find ourselves very much like the intended audience of Isaiah 61, right? We live in an already but not yet, We've experienced, as the people of God, the life-altering, saving work of God in the person of Christ Jesus. He came and he plucked us out of darkness, he set us into his kingdom, and we wait for the day when he will make all things new, right? We live in this tension point where we've experienced 
the life of his kingdom, and we yet wait for the full expression of that, right? We live in the world that's still marked by sin and destruction and devastation and brokenness, injustice, despair, sickness, anxiety, fear, right? Like these things are still the normative part of the world around us. Look at letter C. Although we see many apparent successes in the world around us, and you could even say in our own city, a closer look shows that many of the foundations that are meant to hold together human society have been systematically destroyed. Okay, so we, we know this, right? We know and we experience this and we feel this. And even though we might see these outward signifiers of some kind of success, right? Success indicators in the world around us are not the same as success in God's eyes, all right? We just have to put that on the table, right? Like uh, fruitfulness and wealth and uh, building up in our city or in the world around us, the indicators that we might see as successful are not necessarily success in the eyes of God. Look at letter D. We presently live in an hour of human history that is really tumultuous. All around us, we're witnessing an increased full frontal assault on things of God and against his natural order for creation. We experience this in our generation as the, the, the seeds and the fruit of cultural and societal revolutions that have been at work in our society for general, generations kind of come to bear. You could say it this way. Seeds that were planted generations ago are coming to bear fruit and be harvested and the fruit is rotten. And we all experience this, right? Like just look at the world around us. Go to page two. We're presently walking through one of the most dramatic and seismic transitional periods in human history. Every level of society, both in the Western world and globally, we experience this cultural, societal, political, economic, and relational unrest and uncertainty. And I know you all feel it, right? Like this is, a, this is an unprecedented moment we're walking through. I mean, think of, think of a couple of these. Let's give me, I'll, I'll give you examples in a couple of these places. Societally, I don't need a show of hands, but how many of you are asking real questions about how much longer can I work in this place? Right? How much longer can I work for this place that is promoting these values and opening a door to really dark ways of thinking and what they're promoting and what they're giving their energy to? There are people in this room that are asking that question regularly. How many of you, again, I don't need a show of hands, are asking serious questions about how much longer can I send my kid to that school? Right? Like, what is happening around us is unprecedented and it's happening in really quick time. That's society, right? Political, I don't even need to talk about that, right? Like we're, we just opened the, like the, the page on the next political cycle and I'm sitting there looking and going, I don't know if the house has enough sturdiness left in it to bear up under what's on the horizon. Can we make it through another one without everything just kind of cracking at the seams and crumbling? And we're in January. We're not even in like August yet. It's, 
it's a mess. Relationally, right? Like this touches your families. Think about Thanksgiving dinner and the things you can and can't talk about. Right, the things that are untouchable, things that you can't wade into, and we gotta just agree to like not uh, ruffle feathers here. And we all experience those in a lot of different places. Letter F, at the same time, we're witnessing a comprehensive and seismic change in the landscape of the Western church. A lot of people will talk about that over the last several years, they say evangelicalism has fractured. Some people say there's like four camps. Some people say there's six camps. Doesn't really matter how many you say there are. There has been this clear fracturing of something that was prior, right? We're seeing areas of the Lord's clear discipline on the institutional church. There are places where God is shaking things to bring us face to face with the need for him and uh, where we have like blurred the lines with the world. Over the next decade, I think this is only going to get more intense as we experience an increase to the difficulties we face and the unique pressures of the new world we live in. Here's, here's a couple questions. How will we, as God's people, unapologetically hold the truth without compromise as we begin to find ourselves outside the acceptable view of what is uh, believed in the world, right? For several decades, several uh, generations, Christians have lived inside of like what has been defined as generally acceptable within the cultural norms. What happens when we find ourselves out, outside of that? How will we hold unapologetically to the truth of God's word without compromise? How will we do that in the years to come? Will we, here's a second question, will we separate ourselves from the worldly ex excesses that exist within our own uh, walls without ingesting the spirit of this age? How will we rid ourselves of excesses without taking the cup of the world around us and drinking it down. Like the righteous remnant in this passage, Christians are not intended to just stick our head in the sand or spend our time yelling at the world around us. However, rather we are to regain a constructive vision of what it would look like to rebuild the ruins of the things in our world that have been devastated by sin and destruction. And I want you to know this. This is what we're gonna talk about some today and we're, we're gonna have a lot of time in 2 Chronicles to do this as well. God has given his people the blueprint. There is a blueprint. It's not uh, far off. It isn't unknown. There is a blueprint. Now we do need wisdom and discernment and endurance to apply it in the context he's put us, but there is a blueprint. The pattern is sure. And let me just state this on the front end. Matthew 16, 18. The pattern, there is no answer in the world and among the, the evil forces of the world for it when we lay hold of it. The gates of hell cannot prevail. 
That's the promise of Jesus Christ to his church. Okay, so the blueprint is there and there is no answer for it. There is no answer for it in the world. All right, look at Roman numeral three. The city of God in the cities of men. So to set out to do this kind of work, we have to be infused with a vision of where God is taking all of creation and the God-given patterns for the church's participation in the work through this age. So the end portrait of what God is doing is building a city that's temple is a temple for the living God. So the Bible, you could actually organize the Bible's story uh, in one way as a tale of two cities, right? There's the cities of men and there is the city of God. The cities that pursue the ways of the world, the flesh and the devil, and there is the ways of the kingdom of God made known in and among the people of God, right? This is what God is designing all things to go toward, a city where the temple of God, where he dwells with his people forever. This is a place where God will dwell for all eternity, a city with true and eternal foundations that cannot be shaken, where righteousness, peace, joy, and God's life are experienced in perfection forever. Look at Revelation 21 here. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Then a little later he goes, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried John away in the spirit to a high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, yet again, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel. And I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. So do you want to know where this thing is going? This thing is going with a city whose builder and maker is God, where you dwell in the very presence of God. His, his glory is the light that illuminates the city. His majesty is the splendor that fills the city. His law is the ethic that shapes the life of the city. This is where we're going. This is where it all ends. We see this in Hebrews as well, right? We, when talking about Abraham and the faith that Abraham had, the writer of Hebrews declares, Abraham was looking forward to a city that has foundations, where, whose designer and builder is God. But as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he's prepared for them a city. Okay, so this is the picture, Christ's portrait of the final consummation of his kingdom, this is where all of creation is going, an eternal, glorious city of God. Okay, so what we've been laying out the last couple weeks is God's kingdom has been inaugurated in and through the person of Jesus, and now his kingdom reign is expressed through the church, okay? And we are going toward 
a city whose builder and maker is God. We are citizens of a different city. We're citizens of a different land. Look at letter E. Throughout the history of the church, many have utilized the image of this, the city of God, to speak of God's kingdom purposes as they're made known in his church through this age. The church is now God's city where we live in the midst of the cities of men. As such, we seek to partner with God's purposes by faithfully submitting our lives to his word so we expand the boundaries of his kingdom in the world and bring renewal according to his grace. Let me just say it this way. I love, there are, there are biblical scholars that will say something like this. Did you know the plan of God for creation is an urban renewal project? Okay, we're all abuzz in Kansas City about urban renewal stuff, right? We have to, it has to do with the streetcar and parks downtown and reflooding the downtown area with money and all this, whatever it comes down to. God has his own urban renewal project. This is what God is about. He's preparing a people who will dwell with him in his house, in his city for all eternity. And we are to live as citizens of that city while we live in the cities of this world. And we are, by God's grace, to see as much of that city renew these cities as he will allow us in this age. Because of this, look at letter F. The church is called to build according to the pattern of that heavenly city. This includes ordering and establishing our lives as a people around rightly ordered worship at the heart of our pursuits together. All right, let me give you two important images that I hope will shape your imagination as we talk about this. Number one is the image of a tabernacle or the temple, right? In the Old Testament, the tabernacle or the temple was the thing that lived at the center of God's people, right? It was the place where God came and met with them and they were to receive from him his holy law and his ways of living in the world and conform their life around it. And from that place where he dwelt with them and they learned what it meant to be his people, they were to be a light to the nations of the world. That's one image. Another image that I love to talk about is the image of an embassy. It's, it's something that I hope saturates our minds and hearts as a people uh, specifically. When I pray for us, a lot of times I get this picture of what we do here is like an embassy. An embassy is a nation inside of a different nation. Right, it, It's a place where the American embassy in a foreign nation, you live, if you're a citizen, you go in there, you're welcome there, and you live according to the laws of the home nation while you're in the midst of this other place. Right, And the church of God is like an outpost or an embassy of the city that is to come in this world right now. This gives profound dignity to what we're doing, what we give ourselves to in this age, even as we wait for the fullness of God's kingdom at the return of Christ. Let's go to page three. We recognize that this work will always be in part until the day Jesus returns. 
but we seek to order our lives around submitting to this, asking him to open his hand and allow us to experience as much of his kingdom as he will in this age. I want us to be really bold about this. I, I, I want us to hold this, but I want to do it tempered, right? Last week was our tempering with oaks of righteousness. This week is our, what's the vision, right? I want us to be bold. I want as much of the city that is to come to rule my life and my family and our spiritual family and our neighborhoods and our city as the Lord will allow. I want as much of that day to break into this day as he will let happen. There are seasons in the life of human history when God in his mercy and his grace peels back the layer that exists, so to speak, between heaven and earth, and he does respond to the prayer he teaches us to pray. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We like to call it in hindsight revival, right? That's what we call it when we look back on it. These moments where people talk about it, they say the, the, the veil between heaven and earth gets really thin, right? Where people are brought into the kingdom, where lives are ordered around the ways of Jesus, where society and culture and the things of this world get reordered around the ways of Jesus and his kingdom, I want to see as much of that happen in this world as he'll let us. As much of it as he will let us. Governed by his evaluation of what that looks like. So let's look at his pattern in Roman numeral four. So we see in the scriptures, there is a pattern to seek and pursue the face of God as the means through which we experience renewal. Again, we're gonna see this a lot in Second Chronicles. Just uh, buckle up for the next season. It's, that's all Second Chronicles is, is just watching a pattern of renewal play itself out positively and negatively throughout the book. When they walk away from this, things go really poorly. When they return to this, God comes and relents and shows his favor. Look at letter B. The prophets gave the people a paradigm for seeking the Lord and seeing renewal. So if we want to step toward repairing the ruins, right? We want to step toward being a people that give witness to what God is doing in the world. There is a pattern for that. The pattern is this. Repent and seek the face of God. That's it. You guys are like, oh, that was anticlimactic. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's what the feeling in the room is or not. That is the pattern. Now it rubs against the grain of everything we want. Right? We want to get caught up in the vision of God's renewing work and we want to run out and make it happen. We want to run out and put our hands to the ground and start to jump in and see the outcomes change. We'll talk about that in a minute. But God gives a pattern for his people. 
And it is humble yourself. Repent for the ways that the cities of this world have infected the way that you see and live in this world. And seek my face first and foremost. Look at it in Joel chapter two. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts before me and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Why? Because he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. And I love this phrase. It's one of my favorite phrases in the scripture. Who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind? We don't get to determine the outcome, right? That's God's sovereign choice in his own grace, when and how and how much. All he's done is given us a pattern and we throw ourselves into it and ask the question, who knows what he will do? Who knows what God might do? Who knows what he, now we have a good picture of what he might do because he's declared his nature to us. He's told us again and again and again, I love showing mercy. I would way rather let mercy triumph over the judgment that I planned. In a season of hopelessness and disaster where you look around and all you see is darkness that deserves the, the, vind, the, uh, the, the wrath of God against it, what do you think God desires? He delights in showing mercy. He delights in demonstrating steadfast love. He delights in giving and dispensing his grace. Hosea says it this way, come, people of God, come. Let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he might heal us. He has struck us down so that he might bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we might live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Peter gives a sa the same pattern in the New Testament in a sermon in the book of Acts. He tells the people, repent therefore, turn back to God that your sins would be blotted out. Why? So that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord that he might bring renewal, that he might cause his mercy to pour out upon you like spring showers, bringing refreshing and renewing grace. Letter D, God promised that he would once again raise up David's tabernacle. This is, again, getting us into where we'll be this spring in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles. This is the place where the kingdom's government administration flowed out of worship and prayer, the thing that David did. In the New Testament, James understands that the Lord is fulfilling that promise through the expansion of the church. This demonstrates that the people of God are now the dwelling place of God who are to perpetually seek him through worship and prayer that his kingdom might be expanded in the world. This is a call for us to order our lives, both individually and corporately, around seeking the first things of the kingdom first. In seasons of hopelessness, our pattern 
The pattern of the people of God is to order our pursuits around putting worship and prayer at the center of our lives together. Corporately, this includes commitments in how we're instructing, how we're talking, how we're exhorting, what we do with our resources, all of those realities. Letter F, there is an invitation to all of us to press into the Lord, regardless of the cost, with a spirit of repentance. That's turning away from the world to the Lord. Okay, write this down, go read it later. I want you to write down two scriptures to shape your thinking here. Revelation 18, verse four, and Jeremiah 29, verse seven. Okay, and this may make sense to some of you. For some of you, you might just like put it away for a different time, come back to it later. In Jeremiah 29, the evangelical church in the last 30 years has loved to use this verse to talk about uh, how we seek the welfare of the city around us, right? It's the famous passage in Jeremiah where it's like, you're gonna be there for a little while, build houses, plant gardens, have families, seek the welfare of the city where God's put you because in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. We've utilized that a lot in the last 30, 40 years in the Western evangelical world. And there's some really beautiful missional strategies that have come out of that. There's some really great endeavors that have come out of that. But I'm afraid what has happened over the course of some time is we didn't temper that kind of image with another image that comes related to life in Babylon, right? Because they're going to Babylon, this city of man, they're to seek its welfare, and in that welfare, they'll have welfare, right? So it's like, what we would temp be tempted to do is see wherever, like, things seem to be going well in our city and just enjoy them, right? I don't think seeking the welfare of the city is like, where's the best place that you can get a cocktail on Friday night? And you go there. And that's seeking the welfare of the city, knowing all the hip restaurants and the cool places, right? Seeking the welfare of the city is living under the lordship of Jesus as an exile in the midst of that city. Revelation 18, verse four, the prophet gets the word from the Lord for the people to come out of Babylon. What that means is there were places where their lives and the lives of the city got intertwined in such a way that they could no longer give faithful witness to the city that was coming. When we find ourselves in those places, there is a need for us to respond to the Lord with a spirit of repentance, a spirit where we go, Lord, we do not want to look like Babylon as an attempt to try to win Babylon. We have to look like the city that's coming in the midst of the city that is here now. So we need to turn with a spirit of repentance and a spirit of pursuit. The promise of the scripture is that God delights in mercy and steadfast love. Many Christians, this is letter G here, experience a vision of renewal and seek 
first to set out to work for it within worldly structures and patterns. We see the fruit, right? Like, I think a lot of us see the fruit. We see the fruit in politics. We see the fruit in society. We see the fruit in culture. And we wanna, we wanna go fix the fruit. But what we don't often understand, and I think really matters for us, is those fruits come out of bad seeds. And the seeds have to do with worship. They have to do with what we worship. Romans 1 gives this beautiful portrait of fruit of unrighteousness comes out of disordered worship. Fruit, rotten fruit in the world, is a worship problem, not a laws problem. Did you catch that? It's not a school's problem. It's not the art's problem. The fruit in the world is a worship problem. And so it needs a worship solution. A worship solution. All right, look at page four. How are we gonna do this? I'm gonna give a few. We could camp on the first three. I actually was thinking this morning, it's like, man, if we talk about the first three and spend the rest of this year only going after the first three, I think, I think it would be wildly amazing. The first is worship and prayer. At the heart of our work to repair the ruins is to establish the glorious reality of worship and prayer at the heart of our lives. Again, both individually and corporately. Now, if you've been around us, this has governed what we've been doing for the last year, right? And in the last semester, we made a ton of changes, reordered a lot of our life together as a spiritual family around these things, and really uh, trumpeted the foundations that needed to go into that. Now, the next 12 months or so, maybe more, we gotta, we gotta let the foundations cure. Right, like we gotta let the foundations get hardened and settled and stable. We gotta keep the flywheel going, so to speak. And so we're going to still kind of focus energy and uh, orient our time and labor together in these places. The scripture declares that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. This means something. This means that when we gather to worship, pray, hear his word, celebrate at his table, the kingdom of God is present among us. Here's a, 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 a truth that I do not want us to miss. Each week as we gather, we ascend the mountain of the Lord, coming and being the city of God. Go look at Hebrews 12 with me right here below. You have come people of God. Where are you right now? Do you know where you are? Are you at 3921 Baltimore? Yes. Where are we? We have come to Mount Zion to what? The city 
of the living God to the heavenly Jerusalem. People of God, where are we right now? We are the city of God as it's expressed by God's word and the worship of God and the fellowship around God's table, even in this world, right? We've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels, to the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, to God himself, the judge of all, the spirit of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. So we're not simply pointing to another city that's to come. We are right now the present presence of that city. We are the temple of God. We are the body of Christ. We are right now in the middle of this world, those realities. Here's, here's a fun side note for you guys. The New Testament word for church, ecclesia, it was a political word. It's an assembly of people in a city that gathered together to dictate the outcomes of civic life together in that city. And Jesus uses this word to establish what his people are going to be. Think of it like, uh, uh, the best thing we probably have is like a senate, right? We are the Senate of the kingdom of God gathered right now representing God's kingdom in this world. You want to do some real work in this world? Come, show up. I mean, you guys are here, so I'm, I'm like preaching to the choir. Show up. Lift your voice with strength. Pray the prayers, receive the word, come to the table with joy and celebration that God has made us new in Christ Jesus. Like come ready to work. When we gather, we are the assembly of the living God, his kingdom in this world. No demon in hell can stand against that. No power of darkness can stand against that. What we are doing when we gather is I was going to say offensive. It is offensive in both ways. It's offensive, meaning it pushes back darkness and it's offensive to the, to the world. When we gather, God's presence is with us. His kingdom reign is here. He is enthroned on the praise of his people. This is why we order our weeks around gathering on Sundays. This is why we have Wednesday night prayer. This is why we've ordered our life around this. Let's gather the assembly. Seek God's face. More of your kingdom, God. 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 How is more of your kingdom established? You alone are God. You alone are God. Hallow your name in the world. Hallow your name in this world. Hallow your name in our city. Hallow your name among sickness. Hallow your name among anxiety and depression and despair. Hallow your name against injustice and unrighteousness in our city. Hallow your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We worship. We pray. This, this, right here. You guys might not feel it because it's like we get up on a Sunday morning and we show up and it's cold outside and, you know, all that stuff. And not just us, not just Redeemer, churches in Kansas City. 
this is the most important civic meeting in our city. I don't care what our city governments are doing. I mean, I do, but that's like, that's small, real small. There's a king that sits enthroned over all the world. And he has called us to gather as his civic assembly to give witness to the fact that he is the ruler over the world. And whether in little parts today or ultimately when he returns, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign on this world. That's why we worship, why we gather. Secondly, God's word. Growing in conformity to God's ways in our worship and in our lives hinges on our knowledge of God and his patterns as he reveals them in, our, in his word, right? Seeking, to, seeking God's kingdom purpose requires that we submit our lives to his word. And to submit our lives to his word requires that we know his word, right? We can't submit ourselves to his word if we don't know it. We have to fill our lives with the word of God, saturate ourselves, saturate our whole lives with God's word, give ourselves over to pursuing him in his word, plumbing the depths of it, mining out the riches and the glorious realities of his word. We have to let God's word shape our ways of seeing, imagining, and valuing in order that our work is conformed to his patterns. Look at letter C, family. The scripture presents the family as the first institution given by God for the purpose of fulfilling his righteous purposes in the world. We are to recognize that the first place we walk out our calling related to the kingdom of heaven is to seek to order our lives around the commandments of Jesus in our families, in our lives, in our homes, we want a vision for kingdom life expressed in this world. Start in the walls of your home. Start in the walls of your home. This is the first and most important vocation given by God. The first institution given by God for his purposes in the world. This includes, this isn't limited to this, it does include this. Diligently seeking to cultivate godly marriages. Spend time seeking to cultivate godliness in your marriage. Ephesians 5. Seeking to raise children in the discipline and instruction or education of the Lord. And specifically, hey, kids in the room, you don't get to get talked to all that often. I do talk to you every week, but I want you to listen here. How you partner with God's ways in this world right now, primarily in your life, is by obeying your parents. If you go, I want to see God's kingdom, the primary way that you see and walk out Obedience to God's kingdom is through obedience to your parents in this life right now. Hey, we could spend all year on those three. I could stop there and go, this is our, our vision for renewing. 
This is our pattern right there. We're gonna stop. We're gonna give all of our energy and life to this for a year. I think that would be amazing. Let me give you two more really quickly. Vocation. As followers of Jesus, we do seek to order all of our lives under the present reality of Christ's kingdom. This has far-reaching effects for the choices we make related to our vocation, right? What job you do take, where you live, how many resources you uh, let flow through your hands, as well as how we engage our labors, right? The fidelity that you have when no one's watching, what ethics you use in your job, the diligence that you have, the fact that you don't complain like all of your other coworkers. That's a real one. That's actually a real one not given over to grumbling. Fidelity and diligence and discipline and hard work. This shapes our engagement. As citizens of Christ's kingdom, our vocational labors should be an extension of the reality of Christ's kingdom made expressed in this world. And when I say that, I mean the ethic of Jesus' kingdom. I don't just mean like, that it's affecting the outward fruits like I'm talking about. Like it's only meaningful if it's changing laws or institutional patterns or um, cultural waters. It can be profoundly and wildly encouraging and potent to the city of God if you are working with your hands and no one sees it and you don't cut corners. That is wildly wildly a invasion of the kingdom of God into this world. As you look to the one alone who sees and you say, I do this before your eyes. I do this before your eyes and your eyes alone. Not for the praise of my boss, not for the paycheck I get, but because I want to be pleasing to you. And then in our ministry, look for ways in this season to minister the grace of Christ's kingdom in the relationships that he's already given you. Ask the Lord for wisdom to walk faithfully to those around you, family, neighbors, coworkers. And this happens primarily, I'll I'll give you just a couple means. Hospitality, that's table fellowship, sharing with others in thanksgiving, blessing others the way that we have been blessed. Witness, which is speaking of the kingdom of Christ and the glory of the gospel, and discipleship, teaching others to order their lives according to the commandments of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you all stand? We're going to just respond to the Lord together.